Welcome to the Quality Improvement Box Set by RCVS Knowledge, a series of webinars, podcasts and video interviews for practices and practitioners. Hi everyone, today I'm going to talk to John Innes. John is Director of Movement Referrals and an Honorary Professor at the Liverpool University and um, a real guru on orthopaedics. And I'm I'm very excited to talk to John about the news that our um, knowledge, our, our canine cruciate registry, data from it has been used in research. Hi John, how are you? I'm very well, Pam. Thanks for inviting me. Great. So, um, John, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, why you think canine cruciate registry is important, first of all? Vets have been arguing about how to fix cruciate since, since a, you know, cruciate rupture was discovered, really. And, and you know, there's, there's been quite an evolution of different techniques. I suppose, that, you know, in, I've been interested in orthopedics for 30 plus years or so, and I've seen that evolution. Probably there are more techniques being used these days than perhaps ever before. But I think it you know, now we're in the era of being able to collect large data sets. I think it would be really advantageous for our profession and our patients if we knew what were the best techniques, um, what were the risk factors for different types of dogs, um, what are the, you know, differences between, uh, within those techniques that make important differences. And those, those sorts of uh, granular details that that can be really important to vets and to our clients and to their their pets. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, I agree. Having been in practice more than 40 years, uh, the, the techniques seem to come and go, don't they? So um, great to actually actually know yeah. what um, the, the better ones are. Yeah. So um, how did collecting this data in the, in the cruciate registry come about? Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I guess we owe a lot to to others in in the profession for that. I think one of you know one of the instigators clinically was was a friend and colleague of mine, Mark Morton, who's a Royal College specialist in orthopedics. And I remember Mark several years ago, you know, talking to me, saying, "Do you think there would be an appetite for a cruciate registry?" Because uh, he knew that I'd been involved with a total hip registry uh, about uh, twelve years ago or so, and I thought it was a great idea, but I thought it was a bit of a mountain to climb. But fair play to Mark and then others that have come along to help. And of course, our CVS knowledge for having the, the foresight and the energy to back this idea, because it, it is a big project. And we're looking to engage with any vet in the UK that's performing cruciate surgery. So that's a lot of people. And so, you know, the systems have to be very thorough. And I think the team that have been put together by our CVS knowledge, the expertise that's come in from different disciplines has been great to see. I've enjoyed watching from the sidelines to some <laughs> extent, uh, but you know, all credit to those involved. It's great to see it up and running. Because they have joint registries and, and these kind of things quite a lot in human medicine, don't they? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think I was looking into this uh, a few weeks ago and I think it was this, the Swedes actually who first came up with this concept and in human medicine and and they actually made it uh, compulsory for hospitals in Sweden to submit data otherwise they wouldn't get the compensation for the surgeries they performed so it was linked to the, their income so therefore very good engagement and then it spread to the UK and the US I think some insurers in the US were requiring registry data in the UK I think now hospitals um, have to submit data for total knee and hip replacements 
and in Australasia, and it's spreading gradually around the world. It's very, and putting the patient at the centre uh, of the clinical outcome is is really important. Yeah, I think that's really important, and and, and longer term clinical outcomes as well. You know, when it comes to our patients, not yeah. just what happens straight after the surgery. Yeah, and of course. I think if you look back in the veterinary literature, most surgeons tend to publish their results some six to 12 months after the surgery, which is when actually for many conditions, that's when you have the best outcome. And I know from my own PhD that actually, if you follow dogs long term with cruciate rupture, you start to see the impact of the arthritis coming in several years down the line. So that's another advantage of this registry. We'll be able to look at the long term natural history of what happens to these dogs after surgery. That'll be really useful when discussing these things with clients, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. And of course, it's about expectations. It's it's also about recognising that a dog has a cruciate surgery and that's not the end of the, you know, the story. That dog very often has got, you know, many years of its life to live and that care has to pass from perhaps the surgeon to GP vets. And it's understanding that whole journey, I think, will be really useful. So how does it actually work then, the cruciate registry, and how do they actually assess the outcomes of the surgery? The structure is, you know, any vet registered in the UK can can become part of the registry if you're doing cruciate surgery. Go on, go on to the website and register. You can find that on the RCVS Knowledge website. Uh, and then when you're presented with a clinical case, you can discuss this briefly with the client to get their consent to participate. And then once you've done the surgery, you can register that particular case uh, on the on the registry. It's all done online. It's very straightforward, very quick to do. And if you're a busy surgeon, you can get a delegate to do that. You're one of your admin team or a nurse uh, to help you. And then the clients will automatically get validated questionnaires emailed to them at set intervals and then set intervals after the surgery. Um, and these questionnaires are, are validated questionnaires uh, that have been tested and validated previously. So how how do they, how are these outcomes validated for the that they use? Uh, well, briefly, Pam, I mean, I could go on for hours about <laughs> that, but, but I won't. The validation of these questionnaires borrows from the science of psychology, essentially, uh, which, you know, is well-founded ways of doing this. But there are different types of validity that are tested. And then you have to test the reliability and the responsiveness and refine the questionnaire um, to the smallest number of questions, which gives you the best information. Uh, the two questionnaires that are used in the cruciate registry are the uh, Liverpool Osteoarthritis in Dogs questionnaire, which I know very well because I was one of the developer, but uh, also the Canine Orthopaedic Index, which is from the American College of Veterinary Surgeons. Three or four papers on that have been published showing its validation. So putting those two questionnaires together gives us a bit of cross-reference cross and cross-validation. So the owners fill in these questionnaires, but how is that data interpreted from, from there? That's the great thing about the registry is that you know, it's all done automatically by the software platform that the RCVS Knowledge have invested in. So that the questionnaires will go automatically to the client. So the vets and nurses don't have to worry about that once they've registered the case. The data then comes back into the data set into a dashboard. And I believe surgeons are able to see their own data. And then they can also then benchmark their data against the anonymized data from elsewhere in the registry. So that's a real advantage. 
it helps with clinical audit and the the data from previous work on the different outcomes measures what the different scores mean in terms of disease severity the research you alluded to at the beginning of this conversation is about understanding the change in score a little bit more so that's an interesting point you just made about clinical audit because of course it's now in rcbs practice standards that GP level so anybody doing these surgeries in in general practice not just in referral practice can can join in this can't they and this data can be really useful for them not only for their own benefit but when it comes to things like their practice standards assessment too yeah absolutely it's a great tool to make it easier to you know collect and analyze those data because a lot of the work is done for you and it's free of charge. I mean, what a great service from our, <laughs> exactly. our, our CVS knowledge. So, uh, why not? Why not get involved? Absolutely. Exactly. We all love something free. Um, and the uh, the paper that that you've written, um, minimal minimal clinically important differences for the load and the canine orthopedic index outcome measures. Somebody who's not an orthopedic, never been uh, an orthopedic surgeon, and um, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, I don't think it's particularly an orthopedic thing, but and I had to learn about this myself a couple of years ago. So when you have these validated questionnaires, it's important to understand what is the smallest change that a patient, or in our case, um, the proxy for the patient is the client, considers to be meaningful. Because in these questionnaires, you inevitably will get some variance, some noise, little bit of error, if you like, because it, there are human beings involved yeah. and that's how how it always is. So we have to understand where's the where's the threshold between that inherent error or noise and what's actually the minimal minimal clinically important difference. And so that's what we've done in this study. And we've used data from the cruciate registry, which is a really valuable data set for us. Um, and we've been able to show um, what is the, the change in score that clients consider to be clinically meaningful. Now, of course, in many cases, the dogs has, had changed much more than the minimal difference. But we're trying to understand where that threshold is. And those estimates are useful to vets to, in terms of interpreting the change in the score. Yeah. So these are, are CROMs and are they client reported outcome measures? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's an acronym that I, I use. And it's really because in human medicine, where this is a whole industry now, they have the acronym of PROMS, which is Patient Reported Outcomes Measures. We can't get our patients to respond <laughs> in, in, a, in a meaningful way, unfortunately. But uh, we use the client as a proxy. And interestingly, there are examples in human medicine where they, they have to do that too. And there are studies to show that's, that's a valid thing to do. So in areas such as paediatrics mm -hmm. or in uh, neurodisability, where a carer might have to respond on behalf of a patient. There are multiple studies showing that that's a, a valid thing to do. And we've demonstrated that with clients with dogs before, and, and there's some studies in cats too. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because owners' perception of what they think is a good result can vary massively according to what, you know, whether it's a couch potato Labrador or a working collie or something like that can't it so this is giving a a, a way to actually measure that um, yes with, yes with... you're you're absolutely right you touched then on a point that's in, important in that these questionnaires have to be answered by the same person each time yeah. you can't pass them around the family because obviously different human beings have a different 
perspective on things. Uh, so it's important to have the same person scoring each time. But yeah, you you will get glass half empty and half full people. That's part and parcel of measuring outcomes in this way. But that's why it's important to have thousands and thousands of uh, subjects in, in such registries. So, you know, the great thing about this RCVS Knowledge Registry is that we've got the whole of the UK veterinary profession involved if they want to. And uh, that should give us a huge data set in the long run. And how are these um, MCIDs, are they called? Minimally clinically important differences actually estimated? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to bore. Too uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to bore your listeners, Pam. Here, I mean, because essentially it's statistics, and I know, of, of, you know, when you mention that to to veterinary students, for example, they'll start to fall asleep. But there are different ways, and there's no consensus on the the perfect way to do this. Uh, and in the paper that we've published, which is open access, so people can go and read it if they want to, it's in PLOS One, then we've used six different methods. They're, they're split into two categories, distribution-based and anchor-based. Distribution-based are purely looking at the at the uh, the way that the data are distributed and using techniques like receiver operated characteristic curve, uh, techniques like that. The anchor-based methods, which some argue are more clinically relevant, are based on analysing the client's response to the anchor question, which essentially is a sort of fundamental question. You know, how is your dog now compared to before surgery? Is it much better, slightly better, the same, slightly worse and much worse? And then you use those categories to inform the, the MCID estimates. So it's a little bit technical and um, <laughs> it, it took my, it took a while for me to get my head around it. it, but I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so it would take a while to get my head around it. <laughs> but you said you touched on there on it being um, the second method being more clinically relevant. So what do you think the um, how this work will be relevant to clinical practice? Well, w what we have done in the in the summary of the paper to try and give it some clinical context although there are some caveats here and I'll come on to those, but we've, we've tried to give some working numbers. So if you're using load, for example, we're saying that a change in score of four points or more should be clinically, clinically meaningful. If you're using the canine orthopedic index, we're saying change in 14 points should be clinical, clinically meaningful. There are different scales for both of those questionnaires, hence the different numbers, but further work is needed in different contexts. So, this is in the context of cruciate surgery. It would be nice to do these studies in other contexts as well, such as, let's say, arthritis or hip disease or elbow disease. But it's a start and, it, you know, it gives people a, a little bit of confidence. If they're seeing an individual clinical case and they're using these CROMs in their clinic, then they can say, well, it's moved by five points on load. I think that's probably, you know, it's clinically meaningful. So, you know, if you're using some sort of intervention, it's giving you some some confidence around the change in score. Sounds very exciting for the future of these things can be developed to use in other in other areas too. Yeah, and, and they already are. So, you know, load is used in the canine hip registry, which is a BVOA initiative. So, you know, we us Brits should pat ourselves on the back a little bit because we're sort of leading the way a little bit in veterinary medicine here. Um, and what's also coming down the track and RCVS Knowledge have led the way here as well, is partnering with companies that automate the collection of these data. So I mentioned that the, the questionnaires are going out automatic, automatically to the client, but then the data coming back is then automatically collated into a dashboard 
um, so that you can see it in summary. But you can also drill down into individual patients. And that automation uh, will probably get better as these things start to integrate with practice management systems, etc. So I think things should get easier and easier for, for us as vets to, to look at our patients and how they're doing. I think that's a huge advantage as it calculates all that automatically rather than somebody having to sit there because they just wouldn't do it, would they? That That's the trouble. Well, we're all um, short on time, aren't we? Yeah, especially and, at the uh, moment. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So um, as the owner of a Labrador that did have a ruptured cruciate, which did have had a TPLO surgery and did fine, um, why is it important for, for owners then? Well, you know, I think owners, they're not expecting vets to be miracle workers. But they are expecting vets to be professionals and they're expecting the profession as a whole to be doing its best. And I think with the availability of information these days, and some of that information can be disinformation on the Internet, I think it's really important that the profession provides high quality evidence for what we're doing. And also we can have realistic benchmarks. No surgeon gets 100% success. No surgeon has no complications, but there are acceptable levels of success and acceptable levels of complication. And it's good to know where they are. And initiatives like the registry will help us understand those issues, give good data to clients, set expectations. And I think, you know, it's, it's all to do with partnering with clients, isn't it? And I think this is a, a step in that direction. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the general public are more used to it now. Um, you know, I've got to that age where some of my, not me, thank goodness, but some of my friends have been having various joints replaced. Um, and you can look up your surgeon, can't you, and look at the, um, on, NA, on my NHS website and things. So I think the public, are, the clients are starting to expect it a little bit. And it must be so much, it'll be so good from the prognosis point of view, won't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You can look up your surgeon, but it is complicated in that obviously some surgeons are recognised within their field as being mm. very good. And so people send them the really difficult cases. So, it, you know, you have to factor in lots lots of different variables there. But I think uh, certainly, you know, sometimes people might look at their own data and say, well, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I need a little bit of training on something here because my results don't look as, as good as the average or something like that. So I think if you can learn from what others are doing, that's, that's great for everyone. Because, I, you know, surgery can be stressful and having good training is you know I, I've certainly learned from colleagues younger than me that are doing things I think oh that's a great idea and I've gone and learned from them and I think it we've all got all got to be open-minded about that. Yeah and quality improvement which is what the cruciate register is part of is, is yeah. all about that it's all about um, not just about improving outcomes and care but about learning from each other and learning together as a team. Absolutely. So so would you encourage vets to sign up for the canine cruciate registry then if they're doing um, cruciate surgery? Yeah, I, I really would. I mean, I, I think projects like this, they're not exposing you to any sort of risk. That you're, you're participating, adding to the data set. It's helping you audit your cases, keep track of them, helping you learn. And being part of a big data project like this can have a real sense of satisfaction. You know, and you could say to your clients, I'm part of the cruciate registry. Um, you know, we're monitoring things here. We're, we're professional about what we're doing and we want to have good standards. And I think that's that's a good position to be in. Absolutely. And you don't have to be a referral orthopaedic surgeon, do you, to submit your data? No, absolutely not. We know that the majority of cruciates performed are are not done by specialists. They're done by perhaps people with an interest in orthopaedics. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. 
and people can be doing a great job doing that. So, yeah, everyone that's doing cruise ship surgery can get involved, whether it's your first cruise ship or your 10,000th, doesn't really matter. Brilliant. Thank you. Well, I think that's our message, isn't it? Just just, just get involved and submit your data. Absolutely. No, that's, that's been it's so easy. interesting. Thank you very much. It's um, That's brilliant. Thanks for your time, John. Thank you, Pam. Nice to speak to you as always. For further courses, examples and templates for quality improvement, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website at rcvsknowledge.org.